Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. You only need to talk to country-based owners and trainers to realise that the Tab Highway concept has been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales. The scheme met with some opposition when introduced in 2015, but it wasn't long before the Tab Highways captured the imagination of regional horsemen. Early days, trainers like Matt Dunn, Matt Dale, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the weekly highways, but now there seems to be a different winning trainer every week. For bush owners, the prize money has been a revelation, while punters love the highways as a betting medium. From a media viewpoint, the highways seem to throw up a good story most weeks. The Tab Highways are a key component of the new face of New South Wales racing. Had Leon Fox been five or six kilos lighter, during his 32-year riding career, there's no telling what this man could have achieved. At 5 feet 7 or 170 centimetres and struggling to ride at 56 kilos, he was restricted to just over 6,000 rides in his entire career, winning an amazing 1,670 races for a strike rate of one winner in every 3.7 rides. In the early 1960s and with 300 bush winners under his belt, he was frequently enticed to town by big-name trainers anxious to use his seven-pound or three-kilogram claim. On one of those trips, he featured in a precious piece of racing history, which we'll highlight later. When Hong Kong racing turned professional in the early 1970s, Leon Fox was one of the first Australian jockeys to be offered a contract. The appeal of a much higher weight scale saw him stay in Hong Kong for almost eight years. On returning to Australia, he rode for another eight years before embarking on a successful 20-year training career. He saddled his final runner on Glenninus Cup Day in 2011. As Banjo Patterson said of Clancy of the Overflow, no better horseman ever held the reins. And similar words were used by those who saw Leon Fox in action during his three decades in the saddle. I saw him many times, and at the risk of embarrassing the man, I've got to say it was a treat to watch him ride. And I've got Leon Fox on the line from Inverell in New South Wales to take us on a trip down memory lane. Leon, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. Good to be here. I better straighten one thing out. You're not at Inverell at all. You're at Tamworth looking after a property uh, that belongs to your son, Alan. That's right, yeah. We're going to feed up the brood mares and foals and look after things for a few days while they have a bit of a break. And Alan and his wife, Karen, who was a trainer for a few years, are now in the breeding business. You've got a couple of early foals on the ground. Yeah, they've got two two foals here at the moment. One they've got great hopes for by Rubik. 
Uh, he's a, not a pretty foal, but he, he, he's very big and very strong. Um, yeah, but anyway, as all foals, they're all cute and they're all nice when they're little like that. Are they? Yeah. As I said, you had your last runner as a trainer at the 2011 Glenninus Cup meeting, but you held on to your licence for a little while, didn't you, in a hope that a couple of those homebreds might come good? Yeah, well, yeah, but it didn't. It didn't last very, very long. <laughs> I realised that it wasn't going to happen, and uh, things were. Uh, I was just getting too old and getting a bit frustrated with. Mm. Uh, while I could ride them work myself, yeah. I was quite happy. But once mm. I had to rely on somebody else riding work for me and being mm. there, and that, it just got too much for me. Mm. Well, you'd still be riding work had it not been for the advice of the specialist. You had a hip replacement. Yeah, yeah that's right, John, yeah. He said, uh, I was asking could I go back and ride, and he said, yes. He said, but don't fall off. That's always risky, isn't it? It's never a guarantee that you're not going to fall off. Yeah. So what sort of shape are you in, Leon, overall at 78 years of age? And you had a few broken bones along the way too. Yeah, considering uh, I'm pretty good, really. Uh, I've got arthritis, which nearly everyone has. Mm. Um, and I had a bad, badly broken leg, but that's that. I, I rode for a long while after that, but, mm. uh, and then a few other breaks and that. But yeah, it's it's uh, mainly just wear and tear now. Mm. Well, you inherited the genes from your father, Les Fox, who was another proud Inverellian. And he'd been around horses all his life, but he also earned a living as a very good shearer. And I read somewhere, Leon, that an injury in the shearing shed actually led him to a career as a horse trainer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he he'd done his back shearing, and uh, this was that was sort of the, the next step onwards for him because he'd been with horses all his life, mm. um, reared on a farm up home. And uh, he, he just um, one thing went from there, and he'd, he'd been breaking in horses for a lot of people uh, for a long while, and uh, it just went on from there. And he started off with one or two, and um, mm. yeah, he, he he was pretty successful. In I mean, he never ever got very many well-bred ones, but he seemed to be able to win races with mm. with the with the ordinary bred ones and um, mm. he was he was very um what's the word probably uh observant yeah watch horses for hours and and, and pick out their intricacies and mm. what they were doing and what they weren't doing and he was always pretty well spot on mm. yeah he's his forte was attention to detail yeah yeah i i would say that yes yeah. and yeah he had more attention that that I could. <laughs> yeah. Did he? I mean, I was a bit luckier than I, I was riding them, but mm. um, he, he'd just sit there and watch them and could pick what what the problem was a lot of the times. Mm. Which not every trainer can do, Leon. No, well, that's right. No, and if you've got a big team, well, you can't watch one horse all day or mm. what, you know, what was happening. But, yeah, but anyway, that was the way we went. Now, your first ride in a race 
was a horse called Point Crag at Inverell. You ran second, and you're the first to admit he was a certainty beaten. Yeah, that's right, yeah. They had me a bit worried, they telling me not to cross over too quick and don't go near, don't get in too far and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I stayed out three or four wide all the way and got beat a half head. <laughs> he was something beaten. <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> now, you're the Look, first I guess, jockey. I guess we made up for it later on. <laughs> oh, you certainly did. You're the first jockey, Leon, that I've interviewed who rode his first winner in Texas. I don't mean America's <laughs> second largest state. I'm talking about a tiny little town of 800 people situated right on the New South Wales-Queensland border. It was 1957. You rode a horse called Col Harve, which you'd ridden before at Grafton, a speedy little thing but not very brave. How did you get on Col Harve? Well, they took him to Texas. He was trained by Reg Madwick and uh, they put another jockey on him in a five furlong race, uh, in, a, in a half a mile race, sorry, mm. and uh, he missed the start. Well, he missed the start in a half a mile race, that's the finish. Mm. Anyway, he was in an earlier race and Reg came round to me towards the, after a while and he said, have you got a ride in the last? And I said, no. He said, well, jump on Cole Harve. He said, you can't do any worse than the other bloke. <laughs> so they backed him up, Leon? They backed him up, yes. Yeah. He went on and he only just fell in, but he won. And <laughs> yeah. yeah so. You thought you were G Moore? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Dad wasn't even there. I I got a lift to the races the day before with a an old friend, and uh, yeah. I got a ride home from the races with a bookie. <laughs> Doesn't look good, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the race, it was quite a ride because yeah. it was probably a good price. <laughs> your first probably, winner. I probably saved him some money. <laughs> your first winner for your dad was Royal Taxi at Inverell. That's right. Now, that horse yeah. had a, an unusual background. Yeah, he he did. Uh, he, he was by Sir Neath. He was a thoroughbred, but he, mm. but he wasn't all that well bred. But um, he uh, was owned by some show people. And um, anyway, I, I don't know really how they come to get us to train him. Dad had only had sort of one horse in work before that, and I I couldn't be. I wasn't even riding when he first got him. Mm. I, I was still I was I was apprenticed, but I wasn't riding in races. Mm. And he was a pretty hard puller, but um, that um, he, he uh, we used to take him to the gym carnivals and the, and the sports days and things like that mm. to try and educate him and get him a bit sensible. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then when he, he just after he, he he started racing, I think he won a maiden somewhere at Glenninus, and and then I'd got my license and started riding, and yeah. He was he'd jump out and, and lead, and he loved a wet track. And mm. yeah, he I think he won. I can't remember exactly how many races he won, but he won quite mm. a few. Yeah. You enjoyed a brilliant apprenticeship. You wiped out your country claim very quickly, and within five years, you'd ridden about three hundred winners, and they were racing on Saturdays only. 
Now, the yeah. first Sydney trainer, Leon, to make use of your seven-pound claim, as it was known then, was Ted McMiniman, who was making yeah. a very good fist of training after a brilliant riding career. And he put you on a very smart horse called Gili, uh, which you say to this day was one of the best horses you ever rode. You won more than one on him too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he was a funny horse. He, he had to get. He was only a sprinter, um, but he, he he used to give them big starts. He'd he'd be last, you know, or second last or third last, turning for home. And one day I won on him at uh, Rose Hill, and they said he'd come home the last two furlongs in twenty two. Well, mm. those days it was nearly unheard of. Yeah. Um, and I did ride him in the Epsom for Ted and. He drew one alley, which didn't suit him. Not saying that he would have won, but he finished up running fourth to um, uh, Sky High. Won it, I think. Um, I'm not sure. Fine and Dandy or something might have run second. Fine and Dandy. Run third. Correct. Might have run third. Yeah. Correct. Sky uh, High, Fine and Dandy, and Lord Fury. Leon, that was a pretty good Epsom. <laughs> a pretty good field, wasn't it? Mm. And you ran fourth, yeah. and where were you in the we run? ran fourth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was an enormous run. Uh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's, yeah, hard luck story. But as I said, I don't think he, he probably wouldn't have beaten them, but no. um, he come from a long way back. But barrier one did you no favours? No, no. Normally you want to draw barrier one, but mm. he was one you didn't want to um, draw one on because uh, old Ted said to me, he said, mm. you know, after you go a furlong, he said, just ease out and let something up inside him because he was a funny horse, Julie. Even mm. on the track, he wouldn't stretch out inside another horse. Mm. And uh, he said, just ease him out and let something up inside you. Mm. And uh, I'd done that and just eased him out a little bit and Georgie Podmore come along and push me back on the fence again. <laughs> Good on you, Poddy. <laughs> which, which he was entitled to do. <laughs> yeah, <of> course. <laughs> Leon, we're talking 60 years ago, mate. <laughs> yes. I hate to tell you. <laughs> it's a long while ago, isn't it? You actually spent three months with Ted McMenamin right at the tail end of your apprenticeship and you lived at the famous Doncaster Hotel which was yep, the mecca right. of Randwick racing men. I bet you saw some famous faces there. Yeah, well, being a, a, a country bush kid, I didn't venture down that to the bar because I didn't drink then and I still don't. Oh. Um, so I didn't really see a lot of them, but I did see some. Yeah, there, there were some characters there and some of the guys that came from Melbourne and stayed there, I like Jeff Murphy and... Fellas like that, um, the, it, it was very good education. Now, you were completely overawed to be riding for Ted McMenamin, but you also got to meet during that period two former icons of the saddle, and I know you were overawed by this. Jim Pike was one, Darby Munro was the other. What a humbling yeah. experience for any kid, any young rider, of the 1960s. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, Ted McMiniman introduced me to Jim Pike and, and Billy Cook. Um, yeah, I don't remember a lot about it, but I, uh, uh, especially with Jim Pike, I mean, 
talked to him for a little while, but I remember what Billy Cook said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, I've got nothing against your son, but he said, you're a bloody thief coming down here with seven pound allowance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a backhanded compliment. It was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was just good to meet those timers, old timers. And looking back now, I just realised how lucky I was. Oh, absolutely. They were both masters of the craft, uh, Munro and Pike, in very different styles too. Jimmy Pike died in 1969 at age 77. Darby Munro died in 1966 at just 53 years of age. Their fame will live on as long as horse racing is part of the Australian culture. Yeah, that's right, for sure. Yeah, Derby wasn't really well when I was riding that gold fiddle. I had a couple of other rides for him, but uh, he, he had diabetes and he wasn't very well, but I did talk to him a few times, which was always great to talk to him. Derby was obviously impressed by the talents of the tall kid from Inverell because he sought your services for a horse called Gull Fiddle at Warwick Farm October the 24th, 1962. He was a final acceptor in two races, the first and the last. Now, in the first, he had eight stone three and you nearly killed yourself making the weight. You fell in, you won by a head. That's right, yep. So eight three was too light for you? It was, yeah, but I, I went to Sydney on the Monday and I... Spent two days at Giles's bars at Coogee sweating um, to, to get down to the weight, and uh, yeah, um, which meant after he won the first one, uh, they gave him a five pound penalty, uh-huh. and uh, that put it put him up to a weight where I could afford to to put one pound on. Mm. But when so did I you find out, problems. Leon? When did you find out oh, they were going uh, to back him up? About yeah, two or three races later, mm-hmm. um, Billy Wilson, Derby's foreman, come in. He said, don't have nothing to eat, son. He said, we're going to saddle him up in the last. Goodness me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was it. Um, yeah. And you didn't have another ride in between? No, no, thank goodness. I don't think I could have rode another one in between. But yeah. I'd got myself up for the last, and uh, by that time I was feeling pretty good again. But, yeah. Um, mm. Well, for those that think... Running a horse twice in one day uh, is detrimental to the animal. He came out in the last and bolted in. He did that, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He, he only won the first one by head, but he won the second one by a couple of lengths, lengths and a half or something, yeah. yeah. And did he feel good, Leon, in the run? He did, yeah, yeah. He was never going to get beat, really. Mm. Um, and it was something that... Um, Jack Thompson said to me after, he said, I don't think it hurts him so much running twice in the one day, whereas he said if you run them two days running, mm. um, you know, one day today and then run them again the next day, he said that would be more, would hurt them more than backing them up in the one day, uh, mm. which I can believe now, you know, looking back now. Yeah. Not well, that I recommend it. No, and, and Leon, it's been rarely done. For those interested... He was the fourth horse after World War II to win two races in one day on Sydney tracks, and the others, uh, for the trivia buffs, 
were Aqua Regis in 1949, Belmont Park in 54, Gregory John in 1958, and then Gull Fiddle. The last time I can recall it happening anywhere in Australia was on the Gull Coast in the mid-80s, a horse called Picnic in the Park, who finished up winning 22 races straight and right yep. in the middle of that sequence were the two wins in one day on the Gold Coast. <laughs> I, I, I did it another day um, at Gundawindi on one. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, she one dad had and uh, we saddled her up and then she won the two in the one day, but that... That's at Gundawindi. It's a long way from Randwick, uh, Warwick Farm. <laughs> it's your place. How many offers did you get uh, back then to stay in Sydney? You must have been tempted. Yeah, I, yeah, I had a few, but I was never really, never really um, interested. I was always, I was happy in the bush. Mm. Um, in those days, you know, it was quite easy to plane. From Inverell, I used to go down every day and back mm. um, to Sydney, was, and, and it was quite easy to do it, especially for midweekers. Mm. Um, but I, I'm, I, I still don't like the city. Um, I, and, it, and it was good those days, mm. but in saying that, then to go to Hong Kong, <laughs> well, I'm sure sort of contra- contradicting myself a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because the you know the urban density of Hong Kong is worse than Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Hong Kong turned pro in 1971 and it wasn't long before a higher weight scale, generous winning percentages and, this is the big one, a low tax rate started to draw good riders from all over the world. You arrived in 1973 and you linked up with an English trainer called Jack Goswell, and you took the job that had been vacated by a pretty good rider. Yeah, Jeff Lewis. Jeff Lewis, uh, he, yeah. He was, he was riding for Jack at the time, and he had to go back to England, which they all do those days, sort of after January. They go back and get ready for the English season. Mm. So, yeah, I, I replaced Jeff uh, and I was pretty lucky in that I rode a winner the first day, mm. and I don't know whether you sort of realise it, but if you can ride a winner the first day, the Chinese realise that you must be lucky or you're lucky, oh. so it makes it a lot easier. Uh, I've seen a few of the other boys go over there, and they they can't sort of get going, and they. Mm. And the word soon gets around with the Chinese that he's unlucky, and mm. they won't put you on. Mm. Unlucky jockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it doesn't matter how good you are, but uh, mm. yeah, um, which um, you know, which helped suited me anyway. I mean, yeah. I did work hard for a long while there too. Mm. I used to ride twenty three a morning there at one stage. But yeah, well, how did that happen, Leon? Your arrangement with Jack Goswell terminated, and yeah. you were suddenly you were suddenly a freelancer, so you had to ride work. Yeah. Yeah, well, I freelanced, yeah, and Jeff Lane and I were the only two that sort of stayed freelance, um, mm. and I used to go to the track and I'd get there in the dark to start on some of them because mm. a couple of the rat bags I used to ride, they they were better in the dark, not it was real yeah. dark, yeah. Uh, and 
Yes, um, and yeah, as I said, I used to ride up to twenty-three of a morning there. To, yeah, uh, and it paid off because um, a couple of them were not very nice horses, and uh, I was the only one sort of silly enough to get on them, and um, and it paid off. Well, one horse in in particular was a horse called Cutting. He was a barrier rogue, and I think he had problem seeing at times, but anyway, I won about four or five on him, and uh, yeah, he was, I got on pretty well with him, but no one else could. But um, hmm. Well, you ran fourth in the Premiership. Yeah, I did that year, that, that first year back, yeah, after, on, my, on my own, yeah. You did manage to get yourself on a very good horse called Money Talks. You knocked up winning races on him. Yeah, the first year that I got on him, he, he was, um, he always showed promise, but he was a big gangly fella and he couldn't, he couldn't change legs or anything. And uh, anyway, uh, I picked up the ride on him and for the first 12 months, I won six out of six on him, mm. including the biggest race over there then was the Chater and um, cup and uh, yeah. he held every record from 900 metres to 2,000 metres at some stage of his career mm. um, and they they changed the handicapping system to try and beat him um, they could only get 10 stone 5 was the maximum top weight mm. um, that they could give them and they changed it so they could give him 11 stone and um, the first, the, ne- the following year, when they changed the the weighting system, mm-hmm. uh, his first run he had eleven stone, and um, he ran second. And but he didn't come up that year. He, he was never right, and he only had the two runs. And he, I think he ran second in both of them with eleven stone on his back. Mm-hmm. And the following year, he he came back and he did win again, and he, he finished up breaking. The, 1,800-metre record. Uh, oh. So that, yeah. So he, he was clearly the best horse you rode in Hong Kong he was, when he yeah, talks, yeah. yeah. He was, a, well, not putting in the same class as Winks, but mm. the Chinese, they're not very, I don't know what's the right word. Um, Attached? They don't adapt to horses so much. All they want no. to do is bet. Yeah. Which is, you know, that, I'm not knocking them for that, but no. that's, what they, that's what they want to bet. But he... They took him to heart, and, and I'll, mm. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Mm. The day that he won that, that Hong Kong Chater Cup, they started to clap him the first time round because you, you led. went twice. You, yeah. you led, did you? Yeah, yeah, he'd always lead, nearly always right. lead. Yeah. Except when George when George wanted to put some pressure on George Moore when he was running, he'd send John out on something <laughs> to try and bust him up. But anyway, yeah, those days he'd usually always lead, yeah. Mm. So that really got to you, Leon, the, the crowd reaction at the winning post the first it, it time. Did, yeah. You got emotionally involved with it yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, you don't hear it very often, do you? No, no, absolutely. C- um, certainly in Hong Kong. No, no, that's true, yeah. Now, um, you told me a, a funny little story about the occasion when Her Majesty 
and the Duke of Edinburgh attended the races and you actually got to meet them. And the Duke noted your height and your obvious weight and he asked you how you managed to to still be riding. Yeah, well, we had a bit of a... We were talking there and talking too long and uh, I tried to explain, you know, that how I'd have to waste and get in saunas and that. And then when I looked up, I saw that everyone was on their horses and I'm still on the ground talking. Mm. And um, I sort of turned and brushed past this woman and (laughs) I did say, excuse me, and (laughs) went over and jumped on the horse and it was the queen that I'd brushed past. (laughs) Goodness me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I felt a bit embarrassed about that. Yeah, so you, uh, you had a genuine brush with royalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how did she accept that, uh, Leon? She wasn't no, no, too she perturbed. Was, she, was, she was quite all right. She didn't. There was no, 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 no problem. I don't think. Hmm. Uh, she didn't say, "What's, what's, what's what you're doing, you mug Aussie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, typical Aussie, I suppose. Yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> a matter of fact, a couple of years later, I think it was, um, I won the Queen's Cup, and I got a telegram from Buckingham Palace, so she must have forgiven me. When you and Jenny went to Hong Kong, your eldest son, Alan, was about three months old and your second yep. son, Tim, was actually born there. Yep, he was born in Hong Kong, yeah. Uh, um, we, um, we went back a little bit earlier because Jenny was getting to the stage where she couldn't travel on that, but mm. um, Jenny... Jenny uh, Got a bit sick in the meantime, and uh, but anyway, everything worked out good. Um, well, like you, Jenny was a bushy at heart, and yep. I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that she was able to make the adjustment to such a dense environment. I think she was better than me. Was she? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She she enjoyed the the city life and the and the. Um, you know, going to the races and meeting different people, and uh, you know, with um, the the owner of uh, of Money Talks, he was a committeeman, had his own box, mm-hmm. and Jenny used to go to the box and uh, meet all these different people, and she uh, really enjoyed that mm-hmm. and the social side of it. You tell me that uh, she once spent some time with an actress called Nancy Kwan. Old-timers will remember Nancy Kwan for her role in a movie called The World of Susie Wong opposite William Holden. That movie rocketed that girl to stardom and you got to meet Nancy Kwan yourself when your writing commitments were over. Yep, yeah. Now, you never knew who you might meet there with with, uh, when you went up to Eric's box because I think, you know, the, the... committee will say a sort of job you know to mm. to um, take people in and take them to the races and because if you had a box to go to well that was all right you didn't want to be sort of out because of public but mm. one, one other day uh, Jenny was having lunch and um, after talking and uh, she was sitting next to uh, James Clavell uh, the author yeah oh. um, wrote Shogun and um, 
Taipan and those sort of books. Oh, yeah. very famous writer. And he, yeah. he finished up writing screenplays for the movies too. Yeah. He, he was very yeah. successful. Yeah. Now, for the first five or six years of your time in Hong Kong, Happy Valley was the only race course operating. Sha Tin was built around 1979 and you rode there for 12 or 18 months. But you yep. tell me one amazing story, Leon, about a bomb scare at Happy Valley. Now, as yeah, the, that's right. the trackmen were coming along with the rakes, uh, you know, patting the, uh, the turf clods back into position, and they noticed a very strange-looking object sitting in a divot. That's right, yeah, and they, they, they must have... Uh got it out somehow, uh, defused it and got it out. I don't know how they did it. We didn't know anything about it until um, sort of a race or so after or maybe, and they came up, the stewards and that came up and some police into the jockey's room and mm. interviewed us, interviewed a few of us um, that rode in the race before. Um, I never ever heard of anything happening or any whether they found anybody, but mm. um, we were told that if a horse had put his foot on it, it would have went off. Goodness um, me. And so, uh, yeah, we're pretty lucky with that one. Well, how many runners in the race? Probably 10 or a dozen? Yeah, it would have been 10, yeah. It was, I think it was a mile mile yeah. race or something that was sort of out of the, going out of the straight. So yeah. And where was it? Oh, it was on the turn out of the straight, was it? Where, where was the bomb? I think, yeah, that's yeah, I think it was on the turn out of the straight. Yeah, me. Um, yeah. Near, near, just past the grand main grandstand there, sort of thing. And uh, mm. um, yeah, thankfully we all got through it, and nothing ever happened. Now, Leon, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you after this. The catalogue is out for the 2021 English Classic Yearling Sale. In total, 803 yearlings have been catalogued, 620 in the main book, 183 in the highway session. The sale will run from February the 7th to February the 9th at Riverside and will be preceded by the running of the $2 million English Millennium at Randwick on the Saturday. 108 stallions will be represented at the classic sale, including 22 first season sires. 87% of the yearlings are Bob's eligible, while there are yearlings catalogued eligible for Vobus, QTIS, West Speed, and also the South Australian Breeders and Owners Incentive Scheme. Since 2018, English auctions have produced 53 Group 1 winners. In the last four years, the Classic Sale has produced the winners of a Melbourne Cup, a Golden Slipper, an Everest, a Blue Diamond, a Randwick Guineas, and a Victoria Derby. Grab your copy of a catalogue bursting with quality. The English Classic Sale 2021. Speaking to former champion jockey Leon Fox, now in retirement at Inverell in northwestern New South Wales. During your Hong Kong years, you rubbed shoulders with and you rode alongside some legendary names. Lester Piggott, Pat Eddery, William Hartack, Willie Carson, Philippe Paquet, for whom you had great admiration. And there was another Canadian jockey there 
who rode for only a few weeks, but you got to sit beside him in the jockey's room, and it was none other than Ronnie Turcott. And this was after he'd ridden to fame and fortune on the back of the world champion's secretariat. You tell me he was a quiet man. Yeah, he was, John, yeah. Um, he didn't say say a lot, but it was certainly good to, to meet him and have a bit of a yarn to him, and uh, as it was with, with all of those guys, you know. Um, Lester never said much. Yeah. Um, Jeff Lewis was he was a, should have been a comedian, mm. um, and um, Willie Hartack, uh, yeah, he was only a couple away from me in the jockey's room. And, uh, mm. Yeah, there was certainly very interesting times and, and interesting people. I mean, he rode five Kentucky Derby winners, didn't he, Hartack? Mm. Oh, sure um, did. And, Leon, did you? Yeah. Did you mention Secretariat to Ronnie Turcott? Did you raise the subject? Oh, to be honest, I can't remember, but I probably would have said something. But mm. um, yeah, it's you just I can't remember a lot of mm. uh, what it, what we discussed or said. But um, mm. yeah, um, many believe yeah. Ronnie Turcott was an unknown before Secretariat, but that's a long way from the truth. He rode 3,000 winners in all before a race fall sadly left him paraplegic. He'd also yeah. won a Preakness on a horse called Tom Rolfe. He won a Kentucky Derby and a Belmont Stakes on Reva Ridge just a year before Secretariat's amazing three-year-old year. So he was a top-class jockey long before he got the ride on Secretariat. You tell me a story about losing a ride once to Lester Pickett, a horse that you'd been putting a lot of work into. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd been nursing this fellow along. This horse, he was a nervy horse, and I was nursing him along and getting him ready for for this race. And uh, the owners come along and they said, "Well, you know, they, they were English. We'd like Lester to ride the horse." And well, I couldn't very well argue with him or anything. So, uh, mm. um, Bob Burns, the other, another trainer he used to ride work for, he said, Oh, he said, now you haven't got a ride. He said, You better jump on old CJ, he said, and send him around. He said, You can't win, but he said, At least you'll have a ride, you know. And anyway, I finished up getting right up along the fence on CJ and, and I knocked Lester off. Which, oh, uh, that'd go down well. <laughs> which gave me great. Pleasure. Of course. <laughs> Not that you'd say a word, but you were inwardly satisfied. Well, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, finally home to Inverell and that horrible lower weight scale. You pushed on for another eight years. Now, you were telling me the other day that if you wanted to ride on the Saturday at 56 kilos, your last decent meal would be on the Tuesday night. Now, what happened after the Tuesday night? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I just normally have a little bit of cereal for breakfast and a, a cup of tea, um, and then the, I'd have a half a cup of tea that night again or maybe a cup of tea to go to, so they could get some sleep. Mm. And then by Friday, I'd spend three hours in the sauna. And um, by Saturday, yeah, I'd be 
I just have I'd have to have a little bit of cereal, it's just something in my stomach and half a cup of tea and mm. go to the races. Um it was pretty hard but I I always felt strong. Um a mm. couple of times it got to me, but uh, mm. I always felt strong and I don't think it ever cost me a ride or or a winner. Mm. Uh, I would be pretty well buggered after the races, but mm. <laughs> um, I'll say. Uh, you know, I guess adrenaline must kick in and mm. get you through these things. Um, it's probably a bit different in this day and age, uh, but those days I wasn't. If you're riding every day, well, you can, mm. you know, manage it a bit better probably. But those days it was pretty hard to go for a week and not eat um, and 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 drink. But because uh, mm. all the weight that I was losing was only fluid. Yeah. Um, uh, so that uh, that was just just the way I did it, and mm. the way I had to do it. I didn't know any other better way, so no. that was the way I did it. Well, you were well rewarded. You won the Inverell Cup three times, the Tamworth Cup three times. You won an Armadale Cup. You won two Moree Cups. You won the Cup at Bundarra, at Deepwater, Narrabri. I think you even found your way to the coast one year to win a Mawillambar Cup. How the hell would you get to Mawillambar? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I was riding a, a pretty handy old horse. He, he did race in Tinnacle Memory Shoes. Oh, I remember and, him, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and I won quite a few on him and Donnie Small trained him and decided to take him over to the coast. And um, I'm not sure. He, he won the, I won the Mawillambar Cup on him and I... Got an idea he won a Ballina Cup too, mm. uh, and then we got beaten the Lismore Cup. But um, yeah, he, but he was a good, big old front running fella, hard pulling fella, and mm. he'd uh, he'd love the wet. The wetter it was, the better. Mm. Um, which a lot of country tracks you don't get unless you get downpour. Mm. Downpour, but um, yeah, he was a good, good old horse. Mm. Um, well, he won a total of thirty races. I don't care yeah. where you're winning. Uh, that's that's a hell of a lot of wins. That's a great record. Yeah. Memory shoes. He yeah. could he could pull a bit, couldn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now the most infamous Inverell Cup was in 1988, when ten of sixteen horses fell approaching the home turn. Now that footage, Leon, made the television news all over Australia. I can remember actually presenting it on the Channel 9 News one night. It was a sickening fall, 10 out of 16. Now, you won that cup, but you still don't know how you stayed on your feet. No, it's just one of those things. Um, I guess luck played a lot of part in it, but uh, I was back too far when I got to the 1,000. It's only 1,400 metres, and I, I mm. thought I can't win from back here. Yeah. And by a good stroke of luck, I I sort of let let him stride along, and I got up to be running about fifth by the time we got to the six hundred, where the fall happened. And uh, <laughs> if I'd have been back with the, where I was, there was no way I would have stayed on my feet, and or and probably would have won the race. Um, but he did one one of the ones that fell in front of him. We he tried to jump it and. He, he hit hit something, hit his legs or something, and mm. he went down his nose on the ground, nearly on the ground. Um, but I managed to get it back up through fear, and 
upright and whatever <laughs> other way you can think of it. And mm. I got his head up, and I, I it was, could, all I could picture was what was the carnage that was going to be behind me. Mm. And uh, that's all I could think of until we turned for home. And I looked up, and there was still two in front of me. And uh, I said, "Oh well, I can't do any more about the fall, but I can still win the race." And he and he, and he did. It was called Paragundi, and mm. we got up and won that one. But it was sort of a hollow win, but a win's a win. Mm. Um, Leon, most of the fallen riders escaped serious injury. I think uh, the rider of the first horse to fall uh, had the worst list of injuries. Yeah, Henry Cameron. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, he had the worst of it, yeah, but he um, he did come back and had a few rides, but he he he, he didn't go on with it. Um, yeah, and a couple of the horses they had to put down, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, two were euthanised. Yeah, uh, one Wally Munro's horse, um, Butterfly Prince, and I can't think of the other one now, but anyway, mm. yeah. Um, you got to ride a really nice horse late in your career, for a Queensland trainer called Kerry Young, you won five races all up on Les's Choice, including a Tamworth Cup, and that horse later won a Doomben Cup with Chris Simons on board. He was a nice horse, Les's Choice. Yeah, he was, yeah. He's he, very game. Um, uh, yeah, he was owned by people named Ford and... Um, um, yeah, but it, 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 I sort of started off in, back in well, what we call improvers races those days, you know, mm. uh, which is up from a maiden, you go to improvers, progressives, and mm. went through his restricted races there. And, uh, yeah, he, he was a very good horse, yeah. Mm. He didn't mind the wet either. But, um, he he won, it, won the Tamworth Cup on him and he just fell in, but yeah. he was yeah. He was a very good horse to win a Derman Cup. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think he was by a horse called Our Best Friend, was he? He was, yeah. Well, he by, was by Secretariat. He was a son of a Secretariat, the horse yep. we were paying tribute to a little earlier. Leon, yeah, you, right. you rode some terrible horses on some terrible tracks in the old days against some pretty average jockeys. But thankfully, your injuries were infrequent. But as you said, there was one complicated leg break which put you out for 27 months. Now, the first operation failed miserably. Yeah, well, they put a plate on it which held the bones apart. And, uh, yeah, well, that went on for 21 months and I finished up going to Sydney and a, a Douglas Sturrock said on it to him and I got in to see him through mm. the Simpsons, the player, um, Mr and Mrs Simpson that I rode for up here. They mm. got me on through to this guy and uh, he said to me, he said, that'll never get better. He said, you better come down and let me put a bone graft in it. And I said, well, how soon can you do it? And those days it was a different hospital system and he said, I've got to get you a bed in Gloucester House, which is part of Prince Alfred, I think. And uh, anyway, he said, you might have to wait a while before I can get your bed. Mm. So, and then he rang up a week or 10 days later and he said, I got your bed in Gloucester House. Can you mm. get down here? And I couldn't get down quick enough. Mm. And he put a bone graft in it. Yep. And I was riding within six months. Good heavens. Yeah. And you came yeah. back better than ever. 
Yeah, well, we did. Yeah, we kept going. Well, yeah, it, um, and I, yeah, that's all of that. After that, I went to Hong Kong. You say. Yeah. When you talk about the best bush jockeys of your era, you keep coming back to two blokes, Skeeter Kelly and Ernie Wormsley. Poor old Skeeter was killed in a race fall in 1967 at Gleninus and you, yep. were, you were not only in the race, I think you were directly behind him. Yeah, I can remember. Yeah, I was behind him. Well, not directly behind him, but I was behind him and, yeah, mm. and we all sort of knew not long after that it was pretty dire and, uh, mm. yeah, but he was... Great old fellow, old Skeeter. Him and I got on very well because he was at Inverell for a long while and then he moved to um, Manila and Tamworth after that. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, amazing. I, with old Skeeter, he was always one of the first out of the barrier and I thought, well, if that's good enough for him, I'm going to try and copy him wherever I can. I mean, I couldn't copy many of them because I was too tall. Mm. <laughs> um, but I always respected him and... And yeah, it was quite close. When I was behind Skeeter, and he got, he go, he went for the whip. I knew I had him. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably said so. <laughs> gotcha. But he was he was hard to run down. Oh, he was a great rider, <laughs> Skeeter Kelly. And the other yeah. old timer you mentioned, Leon Ernie Warmsley. Yeah, I think I told I, you this on the phone the other day. I was at a sportsman's dinner one night, and there was a lovely little waitress looking after my table. And I could tell she was wanting to tell me something. And uh, later in the evening, she got me aside and said, you'd remember my grandfather, uh, a country jockey called Ernie Wormsley. And I did remember him and I was able to tell that girl that he was a damn good rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he was a, it's all, the whole world is different today, I know. But um, I, I learned a lesson very early in the piece with Ernie I was a cheeky kid and I was pushing up on the inside of him mm. and then next thing Ernie closed the gap and uh, I thought to myself, well, that's a lesson learned. You don't go up inside of Ernie if he's still going all right. Yeah. <laughs> but and him yeah. and I were, were pretty good mates and I finished up, I think I was a pallbearer at his funeral, so uh, mm. he was a good old bloke. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, there was one astonishing sequence of wins that you recorded years ago on the country tracks, you won 13 out of 14 races. How did it play out? Yeah, well, um, there was, I had, I don't know how many rides, I had the first day at Gleninus on the Saturday uh, and I rode the last two winners there and those days were only six race programs. And then we went back with Saturday Monday meeting. I went back on the Monday and I rode the, the first um, two mm. again. And I got beat on a two-year-old at Jackie Baker's mm. and rode the next three winners. So and then Inrel raced the following Saturday and I rode the program at Inrel, which gave me nine consecutive winners and, as you say, thirteen out of fourteen. Yeah. If, if the two-year-old had won, it would have been 14 straight, but anyway, it didn't happen. So. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> now, Leon, <laughs> as a trainer, the best horse you uh, prepared was Tree Lopper, who won four races early in the piece for Noel Mayfield-Smith in Sydney 
and he was a five-year-old when you got him to train. You went on to win another 12 with him, including a Glen Innes Cup, an Inverell Cup and a Cotton Cup at Moree. And one of your old mates, Danny Fram, rode him many times. Yeah, Dan rode him a lot, yeah. Um, he, uh, he, was, he, he was a very good horse, uh, but he had bad feet. And that's and we had a good farrier at home, and he got him going for us. And he was he was barred when I got him because he wouldn't leave the barrier. And anyway, David and the, uh, the farrier David Adams, we got him standing up on his feet better, and he he never ever refused to jump again. But uh, he was a great old horse, and him and I I used to ride him all his work and. Uh, mm. Uh, he, he, we were great mates. Even when he was retired and go out to the paddock, he'd always come up to me and want a pack and a bit of a yarn. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but I was lucky. I had, you know, quite a few horses for the Thomases at the time, and but yeah. he was by far the best of them. But yeah, I, I did have another very, very good horse. Well, he could have been, but uh, he was he was by our best friend too, mm. uh, called a steam friend. He he could do anything on his day, but. You could never sort of pick him. He, he had a few problems, and uh, you could never pick him. But on his day, he was nearly unbeatable. Mm. But yeah, but we were lucky. We had quite a few decent ones. Mm. What was his name, Leon? Esteem friend. Esteem friend. Yep, by our best yeah. friend, who was by secretariat. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he, he could have been anything that awesome if we could have got found his problem out. But mm. yeah. He's the one that got away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned Alan earlier, your eldest son. Uh, Al yep. had a short but successful career as a jockey, but he had one big task. He had to live in the shadow of his legendary dad. Yeah, well, I guess it's hard on a lot of kids like that. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and that was one of the why I sort of retired a bit earlier than I did. Uh, I might have kept going, but Dad wanted to give training away and I found myself sort of looking for him in a race to see, making sure he was all right mm, yeah. if I rode in the same race as him. Mm. And I said, to, and I said, this is no good. I'm not being fair to myself or the people that own the horses that I was riding on anything, mm. so... That was one of the main, one of the reasons I gave it away and started training because Dad wanted to retire anyway, so mm. I just took over from him. Yeah. Now, the final acknowledgement of the podcast and probably the most important one is for your darling Jenny Fox, your wife, the mother of your two boys and the greatest supporter you've ever had. She's been at your back. Every step of the way. Yep, that's right. Um, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have done a lot of things. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have even went to Hong Kong, only for Jenny pushing. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, and we've had a pretty good time for be fifty years next year. Mm, good boy. The golden uh, anniversary this, coming up. This 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 year it is now. I, mm. I forgot when. <laughs> I forgot what year we were in, yeah. What's the date? Uh, 17th of April. Right. We'll make a note of that, April the 17th, for anybody who would like to uh, extend 
uh, their tribute to Leon and Jenny Fox on the occasion of their golden wedding anniversary in April. Now, there's one more thing I want to raise with you before I let you go. You were a noted trendsetter among the country jockeys. You'd turn up in a suit and tie to a bush cup meeting while most of your fellow riders would be in jeans, T-shirt and desert boots. (laughs) When you appeared in the jockey's room, you'd look like you'd stepped out of a Calvin Klein shop window. (laughs) Now, Leon, I saw you one day at a Moree Cup meeting in the 1970s and you were wearing a beautiful navy blue three-piece suit with the tie pin and the cufflinks sparkling in the sunshine, and you were sucking on a calabash pipe. Now, that's the kind of pipe that Sherlock Holmes used to use. That is one of my most indelible memories from my days at the Bush Cup meetings. Well, Jenny's sitting here laughing her head off at that. (laughs) Well, it's all true, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I did smoke a pipe, yeah, and I... Always, yeah, well, I sort of, I'd always tried to look all right. And, um, well, I, yeah, Jenny just made the comment. I, uh, The boys used to play soccer quite often uh, every Saturday morning, mm. and I, I, no one, could, they couldn't get a coach, so I used to coach them. This is the under sixes or sevens or whatever they were. And I'd get dressed to go to the races in the suit, and then I'd go and coach these kids for the, first hour or whatever it was for the soccer match and then get in the car and drive to the races. (laughs) (laughs) But that must have been looked a bit odd for a bloke walking up and down the sideline with a suit on coaching kids soccer. But anyway, that's what we did. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, Leon, I'll tell you, you, you uh, you look like Bo Brummel at the 1977 Moree Cup meeting. You haven't still got yeah. that suit, have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Jenny threw it out. <laughs> well, whenever older racing men bring up the subject of champion country jockeys, your name is always on the list. And I'm very pleased to say that I got to see you many times in the 1960s and 70s, and I can vouch for the fact that you were undisputably one of the very best of your generation, Leon Fox, even though you had to miss many a meal to achieve it. Thanks, John. It's good to be able to talk to you and I hope that it goes overall uh, well and uh, somebody can at least gain something out of it. Um, I hope to one day maybe write a few things down. I don't mean to write a book, but I'll write a few things down because I think it's, Important that kids know what we went through and uh, why we did it and how we did it. And uh, um, I was only telling someone the other day that when I started, we used to get two pound ten for a ride, uh, five dollars, and it was only two quid in Queensland, which was four dollars mm. for a losing ride. So <laughs> things have come a long way. I think they're getting about two hundred and twenty currently all over Australia. <laughs> Yeah. And good on them. Yeah, it's a pretty sure. hazardous old job. Leon, it's oh, been, yeah. been an absolute delight having you on the podcast. Thanks for giving us so much time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. 